Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. I was pretty excited to learn about an extraordinary new diagnostic tool for dogs who have cancer and are being treated for it, a diagnostic tool that lets the doctors know is the treatment working? Is the cancer progressing or not? I have the pleasure of meeting Dr. Mache Paris, who is the CEO of CanCan Diagnostics in Scotland. He's a veterinarian at the Royal School of Veterinary Studies in Edinburgh. And Dr. Paris, you've come up with something which apparently has existed in the human cancer treatment realm, but now you've modified it. Is that right for dogs? Yes, 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 of course. So we, we saw a niche and a need for this kind of novel diagnostics in dogs. When you think about liquid biopsy in, in humans, uh, the main reason for using it is actually a monitoring of what is called the minimal res- residual disease. So this is effectively to monitor the cancer, to see if it progressed, to see if uh, there is a resistance that is growing to specific drugs, and we thought, why is that not uh, available in pets uh, to the degree as it is uh, in humans, where it's also actually at, at quite early stages. Yes, uh, I've, I've actually never heard of it in, in humans. And I have lived with people who had cancer and were treated with chemo trials and actually died of the cancer. And I didn't know there was a blood test that it, maybe it's not for all kinds of cancer that could actually let the doctors know, was the treatment working? Do you change the treatment? Do you carry on with it? I mean, that's an amazing piece of information from a blood test, isn't it? 
Yes, exactly. And and when you think about especially our dear pets, the key in any kind of treatment for pets is actually the quality of life of the patient, right? Right. right. So so making it accessible, easy, with in a minimally invasive way, such as just a blood draw. Uh, it, 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 it can be a potentially game changer. And we are really excited that, uh, that uh, we created a test uh, that seems to be uh, very, performing very well so far. We have still uh, quite some way to go to, to validate it completely in different cancer types, uh, you know, in a, in a very variety of scenarios. But, uh, but the current data looks very encouraging that potentially we could use it even uh, instead of uh, the currently used, you know, imaging, where usually the pet needs to be sedated or yes. anesthetized uh, to to actually be be scanned, and you know, if you think about um, you know the quality of the life of the pet, this this can really affect it greatly, right? If we could just take take a blood sample, it also affects the the human caretaker tremendously because. First of all, there's the financial cost, and I don't know if all dogs and cats in Scotland have, you know, uh, free health care, but in America they certainly don't. And those of us who are forward-thinking enough and can afford pet insurance because we know we can't afford otherwise an MRI or a CAT scan or PET scan, these various multi-thousand-dollar diagnostic tools, we also are very nervous about putting to sleep for that procedure, an animal who's already got cancer might be somewhat aged. So people might not even be willing to find out if the cancer treatment is working because they're either can't afford or they're nervous about having to put them out to do it. I'm sure you must find that yourself as a veterinarian. Yes, yes, definitely. It's it's a huge uh, uh, huge issue and huge worry for, for, for the caretaker of the animal. And uh, and this is why you know we thought that this can this can be a game changer for for those cases uh, uh, and and we as much as we can help you know our oath as a vets uh, as vets are you know do no harm or you know right. and to help the pets and this is this is where this is coming from as well okay so let's talk about the kinds of cancer did you focus for example on osteosarcoma bone cancer because as i understand it at least in the us that I believe is the most prevalent cancer in dogs, or does it work equally well for any kind of cancer? So so far, we tested it in twenty five different cancer types. Wow, and actually looking from the most common ones that we see in Scotland, which is interesting that you know geographically uh, there are some differences between what cancer types dogs get in different geographic uh, geographical regions. But usually the lymphomas and the mast cell tumors are the ones that are the most kind of prevalent cancers. Um, and this is where we, where we tested it, it the most just because of the sample availability at the moment. Well, uh, we I, I should see- interrupt and say that I'm, I'm the world's worst statistician. So I, I could be totally <laughs> wrong and lymphoma could by far be the most, if you will, popular cancer for dogs in America. I guess osteosarcoma... It's just frightening to those of us with large breed dogs because it, it winds up being usually a limb amputation. That's the only treatment, mm-hmm. as opposed to lymphoma, which can be treated with chemo, right? And 
I think also yeah. radiation. I yeah. can't I can't remember how far along oncology has come for dogs, but it's certainly leaping ahead. But it is interesting geographically. But do you are you aware of that in terms of worldwide cancer treatment and studies of dogs? Do you really see geographic differences or were you just responding to me politely? And saying, "Oh, okay, if it's osteosarcoma, there, there are definitely some uh, some differences, geographical differences. Um, the real reason behind it is hard to say. Maybe right. it's something that is uh, related to you know any kind of carcinogens that that right. are there, or it's breed related. I think in Scotland, at least, we see slightly different breeds of dogs compared to what uh, I used to see in when I was in the U.S. I did actually my Ph.D. at Michigan State. Um, so uh, so there are some breed-related uh, breed differences as well. So what did and you see in the U.S.? Did you, did you see the large male golden retrievers and the boxers and the Rottweilers being heavily cancer-ridden? Yeah, probably they were they were more of of those breeds in in uh, in Scotland. We see uh, a lot of spaniels, for example. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and Labradors rather than Golden Retrievers. Uh, so uh, so that may even though they are quite similar, they may have some, some slightly different uh, predispositions as well. So does that tell you it's genetics? I mean, there's there's been a rumor. I call it a rumor because I don't know when anyone's done a proper study of it, but a rumor that I've heard for decades that British golden retrievers from a British line of retrievers, of golden retrievers, not labs, don't carry, at least don't carry the prevalent cancer gene that the American ones do, that there was some primary male golden that was given many prizes in many dog shows in America, again, going back a couple of decades, and all the good goldens, if you will, were somehow related to him. He had many wives and many children, I guess you could say, (laughs) and passed along this dreaded gene that the British golden retrievers didn't have. Is that do you did you You I mean you're a researcher and a DVM. So is there is there anything to that? Not, not that I'm aware of. Although from a genetic standpoint, it's it's possible. Uh, it's it's possible that that there is some some sort of a founder effect, as one would say, that there is a single uh, male or female that was bred, uh, you know, that was uh, the initial founder of of specific right. traits that then leads um, leads to different uh, different diseases. Okay, so you've create you've created this test called Canine Liquid DX, detecting the DNA circulating in the blood. Is it possible? I'm not trying to put something more on your plate. You're obviously <laughs> come a long way and must be very very excited that CanCan Diagnostics has done this and is doing it and is studying it. But would there be a way, in theory, for you to find out in the DNA? of dogs that are being bred, whether they carry cancer genes? I mean, there are lots of groups trying to find out what are the uh, the genes uh, related to specific cancers in specific breeds of dogs. Uh, so there are lots of studies ongoing. I think that one day we'll, we'll find it. Unfortunately, cancer is always tricky and genetics yes. always 
play a substantial role, but it's not the full picture. And lots of other things are also um, involved, uh, such as the environment, for example, uh, and uh, things like that. So right. how much of that is, is genetic? How much of that is, is the environment? Uh, is, is always another uh, question, right? That's a good point, uh, so, and it is tricky. You think you th- you're looking to the left, and the thing sneaks up on you from the right. So you exactly, can't you th- exactly. it can't be smarter than cancer. It seems to be the smartest thing on the planet, along with I guess cockroaches who've been around since <laughs> the time of the pyramids. In, in talking about what you're doing at the the Dick School of Veterinary Studies. Do do they allow you allow being? I don't know if I'm using the right word. To spin off a company that is a for-profit company and is going out into the so-called real world with a product? Is that allowed? I, I don't know that it's not allowed in the U.S., but I'm just curious. It is. It's, it's a quite a lengthy process, though. Um, it, takes, it took us almost one and a half year to create the company and, uh, and kind of get it into the stage where we are right now. Uh, so it's a very lengthy process uh, where the university sees that, uh, you know, it's something that it's um, both commercially um, viable yes. uh, as well as, uh, you know, that um, that it's something that will build the um, build the university reputation yes. rather than it will, in some sense. Uh, you know, destroy it. Right. So, 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 so far, you know, the I was fortunate enough that that CanCan uh, was allowed to move forward and and to create this uh, this great company, which hopefully will help uh, pets. Uh, you know, both in European continent as well as as uh, as Americas in the future. Uh, so we are we are super excited about it. And it must be incredibly exciting for the students that are studying with you and under you because they're part of the future. They're part of something which, as you said, is a game changer, really changes the way cancer can be treated and the way treatment for cancer can be modulated depending on whether it's doing well or poorly. As we know, dogs have short lives and dogs with cancer's lives are necessarily shortened. How much you can extend their lives with treatment depends a lot on whether you've picked the right treatment for that dog with that cancer, right? So what CanCan yeah. can do is keep the the doctors kn- knowing all along the path, are you on the right path or should you switch gears or switch horses, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, it seems to me that's exactly. the value. Yes, definitely, definitely. Of course, you know, the key thing is that we still need to prove that that's the case. Hopefully it will be. Um, because as, as we said, cancer is a mysterious disease that yes. likes to play according to its own uh, game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there, is, there is quite a lot of work still ahead of us. Uh, but but fingers crossed, you know, we will we'll definitely help as many as we can uh, cancer patients in, in dogs and, and in the future in cats. And, um, you know, this is, this is why we are doing this. How many dogs do you have in your study? Are they all local in Edinburgh or where do they come from? Uh, most of them from, are from Edinburgh. There is 
there are some also from our collaborators actually at Purdue University. At Purdue, yeah. wow. Yeah, that's um, great. And uh, we are uh, so majority of the cases we have we have so far close to three hundred cases. That's a lot uh, that we studied. That's a lot yes. because they probably had to tick many boxes to be appropriate for the study. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like yeah. with any cancer yeah. study, you have to not have had other treatment or yes, have had other treatment or have a certain kind of cancer or it has to be advanced not too far but not too soon. I mean, it's, it's, I, I know it's very, it's very demanding to do work in the cancer research field, certainly for humans and for dogs, uh, it looks like no less rigorous. And it was clever of you to say, well, here's an area that not a lot of other people are looking at because as you said a lot of people are looking at genes that might carry cancer so i would think a smart researcher says i want to do something that makes a difference but not be racing to the finish line with others that are kind of competing and maybe overlapping with what you're doing was that part of it yeah the unique quality of what you're doing definitely and and you know many people are concentrating on for example, screening of pets. Yes. Uh, so when you think about, you know, early diagnosis is something that it's a healthy dog, that they, they are screened for cancer and looks whether they have cancer or not, potentially. Why we didn't choose this route is actually we wanted to concentrate on the kind of next steps. Yes. So how to help the vets diagnose the cancers because frequently... Um, what happens is, you know, the, there is some dog coming in with a mysterious disease that is hard to diagnose or it's hard to get the sample out of the tumor. That's or right. Mass, let's say in the lungs, right? Yep. So if we could help actually do it in a more uh, minimally invasive way, then then it's actually helping the patient. It's brilliant. And the same with, with you know, there are lots of actually uh, cancer types where... Um, the monitoring of the disease is difficult That's right. in a way of, uh, you know, the animals require repeated sampling uh, under GA or, uh, or, or sedated, uh, being sedated. And this, uh, this test could actually help uh, with, uh, with this kind of cases where we, we can monitor it just taking a, by taking a blood sample. It's wonderful. We've run out of time, Dr. Paris, but you haven't run out of time. You're right, on, you're right on the money with what you're doing, and I hope you have great success. And as you said, Thank you. fingers crossed. I say pause crossed. Yay for you. Yay for the, <laughs> the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies and all of your co-researchers in America at Purdue and at the University of Edinburgh. Thank you for your good work. I hope for a Thank wonderful you. outcome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. There were a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. 
They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day.